How do you overcome the four obstacles keeping you from starting your own business? This is Company of One, episode number 110. Welcome to the Company of One podcast featuring Dale Callahan. Dedicated to helping you find freedom in life and with your career. Learn how to not only increase your income, but take control of the income you acquire. Let's ignite that inner entrepreneur in you. Now, welcoming your host, Dale Callahan. All right. This is uh, one of the first couple of podcasts I've done since taking a long hiatus from podcasting. Uh, not intentionally necessarily, but because other projects kind of got in the way of podcasting, and you know how those kind of things are in business. Uh, we've uh, since the last one released the building your own business. Of course, I've been working on for some time, and uh, and we've taken on coaching clients and all that's kept me really busy. But it's like anything else; it just consumed a lot more time and energy than uh, than you think it does. I mean, you know how that is, right? Especially if you're trying to start a business and you're trying to balance the time-energy issue. As a matter of fact, that's part of what we're going to talk about today. Most of you listening have something else going. You have a job. Uh, maybe you have uh, you're a you're a mom with kids at home, and so you're, you're we have a lot of homeschooling customers, a home a lot of homeschooling listeners. Uh, which is, uh, in my personal experience, is more than a full-time job. Uh, so you're you're seeing a lot of things that are going on that are priorities in life, and then you're trying to do a business and how do you car- carve those little moments in. Now, many of you know that I'm a university faculty member, so I run an grad- executive graduate program at the university. I teach. Uh, I have a couple of different businesses, so I, I understand the pain. You know, it's not. I, I listen to people like, uh, uh, well, just so many others. I'll pick on one like an Amy Porterfield. You know, that talks about you know how she manages her day, and it's different uh, because this is what she does. This is all she does. This is her full time gig. This is the one thing that consumes her in her business. So it's different. It's not wrong, it's just different. Um, and I'm finding that more and more people, even people who have options, and I feel like I'm you know, I'm one of those that has lots of options, even though I have options, I find that I still want to do a lot of things. And maybe that's that ADD factor in us. In those options, I'm, I'm spending time right now coaching a whole bunch of people. I'm coaching some in the Building Your Own Business Coaching Program, uh, and then some others I've just been working with for a long time. And I continue to come up on obstacles for starting your own business. And, and there's four that just really, really, really loudly uh, keep being yelled at me. I keep running into them. And they're never spoken clearly. And what, what I mean by that is we never are really, really clear on what is our problem. So I kind of wanted to hit what some of these things are. Now, first of all, I'm talking in the word obstacles intentionally. Because in goal setting, and many of you are familiar with Zig Ziglar, and and one of the epiphanies in my life was when Zig Ziglar talked about his goal setting formula, seven steps to setting a goal, 
Um, matter of fact, I need to put that in the show notes. Um, I have to make a note to myself to do that. I have all these great plans, and then things just come up. The so in his seven steps to starting to setting a goal, he talks about the obvious goal setting steps. But one of the things he mentioned was list the obstacles. And when I did that, the first time I tried that, and I listed the obstacles, and I went back and made a plan to uh, to accomplish the goal, I realized when I killed the obstacles. And uh, yeah, that's violent terminology, maybe, but that's exactly how it feels. When I killed the obstacles, when I got them out of my way, success was just right there in front of me. And so that's why I call these obstacles, because when you get some of these things out of your way, success is right there in front of you. You, I mean, you move on to another obstacle, no doubt, but you move so much further. And then dancing around, worrying about a lot of other things. So, you, so I do go aggressively after killing obstacles. Now, so before I jump into the four, let me just hit um, hit a couple of issues. Number one, I'm going to break down over the next couple of episodes. I'm going to break down each one of these four in detail. So right now, I'm just going to talk about them briefly. But in the next section, I'm going. In the next podcast on one uh, on one eleven, I think that's what I'm looking at the numbering. Uh, Next week, I will be doing uh, breaking down the first one, and then the next week, the second one. We'll really go into great detail because I spend a lot of time with people on these issues. Now, but before I jump into those, when you look up the fears of starting a business and and you start looking up on like Forbes magazine, entrepreneur.com, these type of things that you see out there, you will see that there is a lot of things Uh, that people are common themes. Fear of the unknown, insecurity, your financial situation, those are common. Uh, Family conflicts, uh, which are usually unspoken, but I still find a lot of those. They are out there and they're showing up. Sometimes they're not verbal and those are real issues. Those are not the issues I'm going to talk about today though. I'm going to talk about the four that are somewhat spoken and sometimes not spoken, and maybe these are obstacles, maybe these are mental challenges. But let me let me just hit them in order. The first obstacle I have that I almost always encounter is I do not have enough money to get started. Now, sometimes that means I am not willing to commit the money, but oftentimes it means I just don't have enough money. I was talking to a fellow entrepreneur the other day who who has been in business for 30 plus years, uh, very successful. And he was telling me that he people constantly come up to him and ask him about starting a business. And that's the one thing he constantly hears is, is the money to get started. And he said, it's just a, such a fallacy because it's not really true. You don't have enough money to get started. Most people think, when I ask them, what, how much do you think it's going to cost you to get started? They will rattle off a term of like $100,000 in the U.S. But the reality is much, many businesses cost much less. When I looked it up before this podcast, I realized that most of them are charging, I mean, most people invest less than $10,000. I mean, over 60% of the businesses started in the United States had less than ten thousand dollars invested, and the actual cost, you know, 
tend to be much lower. And very, very successful businesses have zero dollars invested, practically zero, and maybe tens and twenties and thirties and maybe a hundred dollars or something, but there's practically zero dollars invested. Uh, so even if you had a capital intensive business, and we'll go into this in more detail about how do you manage this, but if you have a capital intensive business idea, such as a restaurant or such as something that requires equipment, such as a landscaping company, there's just easy ways to do this. There's this, and I do mean easy, that you start with nothing, that you start and just jump into the business. One of the big principles that I use uh, is never go into debt for a business. Now, it's okay maybe to go to have some business debt. Uh, that's a difference between going into debt for the business, but I would never, never, never go get a loan to start a business. It's just, it's, it's idiotic. And yeah, if you've done that already uh, and you've been successful and you're going to email me or send me a Twitter message, I under I get it. Uh, it it can it work? Yeah, it can work. I've seen I have friends of mine that it's worked. They went and borrowed a million dollars, and it worked. But I also have a lot of people I work with that are still paying off debt from their last business. Because the bad thing about debt as, a, as opposed to an equity or an investment is it doesn't go away when the business goes away. If somebody invests $1,000 into your business and your business goes under, they lost their 1000 bucks. If the bank loans you 1000 bucks and your business goes under, you still owe 1000 bucks. Now, if it was just 1000 bucks, that would be easy, for, but most businesses borrow a lot more than that. So just you don't want to go into debt, but they, that fallacy of... Uh, I mean, the, that first fallacy, that first obstacle is thinking you don't have enough cash. So let me just give you right now, you do have enough cash. Matter of fact, next week, I'm going to go into detail about how much money do you need to start a business and how do you make it happen with nothing, practically nothing. How do you make it happen? The money is the easiest problem to solve, and yet it's the one that people first throw out when they say, I don't want to start a business because I don't have any money. Even people who come to me who want to start a business. So that's the first one. I don't have enough money to get started. The second one, uh, which I'm probably hearing even more frequently, is I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. Uh, this one always shocks me, I mean, and it probably shouldn't because I've been there, I am there, I, I feel the pain. We get caught up in the thing of thinking, I have nothing to offer the market. So we're, we're talking, so the other day I was talking to a guy who, who is a corporate professional. He's an officer of a company. He's highly, highly paid. He is definitely in that top 1% of American earners, uh, makes a lot of money. You know, the kind of guy that pu they publish his salary in the newspaper because of he's one of the officers of this company. So he's telling me over lunch, you know, kind of he, he would like to get out of this corporate world, but and he even though he makes a lot of money, he feels trapped. But he says, I don't really have any value to add. I don't have anything I know how to do. Which is kind of comical because the salary this dude's being paid 
to basically sit in meetings. I know what he's saying. He says, I go to work every day. I sit in meetings. I'm on a team. I make decisions, but I'm not really making decisions. I'm kind of set in a circle where the decisions are somewhat made for me and they're kind of obvious. And, you know, what I deal with is a whole lot of babysitting. And this is, I hear all this for all the time from corporate executives and from corporate managers and from people who are making over six figures. That you just feel like there's nothing you really know how to do to add value in the marketplace because who else is going to pay for a, who's going to pay six figures for a corporate babysitter except another corporate job? Right? So we tend to have blinders on of the value that we add. Blinders. I mean mega blinders of, of people. This is one of the reasons coaching becomes a, such a valuable thing. It's hugely valuable to me. I have coaches that I go to, and I just, as much as I coach other people, as I sit down with the coaches I work with, I'm just shocked at how many blinders I have on. So I, I get it. I understand you having blinders on because if I didn't, I would be a hypocrite because I have them on. I got it. I'm just totally blind to things right in front of me and how I make decisions, how I think about myself, how I think about my skills, how I, um, and let's just face it, all of us are insecure. Somebody asked me the other day, I was a guest on a podcast and uh, they asked me, do you feel like a success? And my answer without thinking twice was no. I don't think of a success. You know, and and I feel bad saying that because my truly, truly passive income is more than what most people make. That has nothing to do with my university positions and everything else. But my truly passive income from rental income, total income, is more than the average salary in the United States. And I feel kind of like a failure in all of it. You know, you, and you, because I feel like I have nothing of value to add. I mean, it's ironic because I'm sitting here doing a podcast talking about this, trying to help people. I, I'm just trying to point out, I get it. I totally, totally understand uh, how we feel that way. and But I, I will listen to these people who tell me things and they're, uh, it's from all walks of life and they'll tell me things and, and I'm like, wow, you think you have nothing to add. I wish, I wish I had the passion you have for what you have. I wish I had the skills that you have in that. I wish I had the knowledge you had in that. I'm finding myself envious of the people that I'm helping because they're so driven. Matter of fact, my last podcast with Deborah Mastic, uh, who who's, who does a resume service, you know, I find when I'm listening to Deborah and, and and just have engaged and learned from her, um, she's so she's so. You wouldn't think it, having talked to her, she, but she's so driven, she's so focused, she's got such clarity. She makes such she makes many things happen in such a short period of time, and I stumble and stumble and stumble and stumble all over it. So I find that that's an envious position to have, is is to thinking, wow, I wish I could be more like Deborah in that. We all think that. I totally get. It. If you don't, you're thinking, Dale, you're really weird. Then uh, then you're blessed. You're really blessed because uh, I find that most people, there's this total insecurity inside of us 
that we uh, just put very, very little value in this. I know I have friends of mine who are psychologists, psychiatrists, whatever they are, the people that sit there and talk to you. And so that's that's one of their big things I hear over and over again is just the insecurity that people have. Uh, I, we could go into the biblical foundation of that. But, you know, we just we feel totally insecure and we feel like we have nothing of value to add. Um, and we feel like we feel like this. What can I do that people will pay for? What do I know that people will pay for? Let me, let me just tell you this. Anything counts. If you can do things that people will pay for, I mean, you can do things that will people pay for. Because look at the kind of things people pay for, right? They pay for all kinds of stuff. They pay for, uh, I mean, people are paying for all, for yard work. People are paying for people to paint their houses. People are paying people to organize their closets. People are paying people just to give them advice and counsel. People who are paying, who maybe have some kind of illness like a diabetes, they're paying for coaches, not the medical expertise advice, but they're paying for people just to come alongside them who have experienced this in life and to guide them through things because the medical experts, that's not what they do. The nurses, the doctors, and everybody, they don't do those things. We, uh, They're paying for music lessons. They're paying for people to teach them art. They're, I mean, there's just people are paying for experiences. They're paying because people to take them fishing because they they are great outdoorsmen and they like to go out, you know, outdoors and fish and they want to be part of that. But they don't have the skills, the knowledge, the, you know, where to go, what to do. Uh, I've even saw something on some of these bridges. Uh, I think it's the Chesapeake Bay Bridge, uh, which anyway, up in the Washington D.C. area. There's a bridge that people are afraid to drive over, so there's drivers because they, they get freaked out because of this bridge. And I, I understand this. I get freaked out because of things. So, you know, that you're you don't you're afraid to do that, so you hire a driver at the beginning of the bridge to do that because you're freaked out about it. And you think about people who are afraid of things, afraid of height, afraid of planes. You know, how many kinds of things that do people need help and encouragement and service for? And what will they pay for that? I mean, it really becomes a value proposition that you have embedded in you are skills. You're just so close to your problems. I mean, you're so clo- you're cl- so close to your expertise that you don't even see it. So we're not like, like talking about complex stuff here, but we are talking about things that when you say, I have no idea, I have nothing I know how to do, I have no value to the marketplace, um, it's just you haven't gotten clarity on the problems that most people face because the people hanging around you, your friends, don't have the same problems. They just, you're, we so often are just totally unaware of our skills. So that's, that one is a huge, huge obstacle people have, and you just have to get your mind around it. Now, I, I don't know of a better solution to that besides you know exploring what other people are doing, uh, getting coaching, talking through it with mastermind groups. Uh, you just kind of got to get it out in the open and, and uh, let it massage itself into the fact that you get clarity on what it is that you have to offer. Again, I'm going to go into that. I think that's going to be episode number 112. We're going to go into that in great detail about how do you uncover that. The third thing I'm finding is people will say, and this related to the second thing, is I cannot charge for that. Now, I, I call this the ministry trap. 
and this is especially true that people who do things for nonprofits and they do things for churches, organizations, and they're helping people. And I call it, you're helping the poor souls. I'm helping the broke people and they don't have any money. I'm helping the broke people with financial situations. I know multiple people who, who do this as a nonprofit. They help people with not with uh, financial situations and they'll tell me, you can't, you can't make money off of broke people. That's the biggest lie in the world. Uh, I, I know because there's billions of dollars being made off of broke people in the gambling industry. Now, you may not, you may say, Adele, I don't want to be associated with gambling. That's not what I mean. I mean, the money is there. When people realize that you have something of value to offer or they value it, whether it's value or not, when they value it, they will spend money on it. They have money. And if you can really help them out of their situation, such as financial advice, they have money. You just have to show them that the value is there. The, the same thing is true for people in the healthcare world. I find people in the healthcare will say things like, uh, I can't charge people who are suffering. Yeah, but if you don't charge them, they suffer more because nobody's there to help them. Because let's just face it, nonprofits, church organizations, by definition, are dysfunctional. They are cumbersome. It's hard to help people. You've got volunteer help. And you know what you got when you got volunteer help. You got one or two superstars, and the rest, well, they're just not that great. And you're in a system. And people who volunteer have very little amount of time to volunteer. So we just... I can't charge for that is is something, and we worked with a client the other day in a coaching session, and I think she started to get clarity on realizing, wow, she was she really kind of had blinders on here. I'm not saying she did, because it takes time. I've been in the same trap before. I totally get it. Um, you know, money is easy. It, it doesn't matter who they are, whether they're... Uh, you know, I, I, let me just point out a couple of people that, like Dave Ramsey, basically by definition, he sells to broke people. Attorneys are selling to people with misfortune. Doctors are selling to people who are broke and rich. That doesn't matter. Teachers and universities. Think about the university system in the United States of America. We are selling to tons of people who cannot afford what we're doing. They find the money. Now, you may argue whether the money's right or wrong or indifferent, but the point is they find the money. So if you have a heart for truly helping people, if you have a heart to uh, serve them and help them make their situ situation better, they can find the money. And you actually are doing them a service by charging them. We'll get more into that later. So that that's the fourth. Uh, this the third thing. The fourth thing that I'm finding. This is the. Uh, this one has become more and more and more and more clear. And this is what I alluded to at the beginning of this episode. I don't have time. Matter of fact, in coaching sessions, we always will talk about, you know, especially when we do, I do group coaching, I'll, I'll pinpoint people and say, okay, what is your struggle right now? And we usually will go around the room. What are you struggling with? And usually there's multiple people who will say, I just didn't have time to get anything done this week. Now, I, I know, you know, you know, we know what, exactly what we mean. Sometimes it's hard to pinpoint where my time went because I have a family, I have obligations, I have activities. I have church functions, I have a job, 
And, you know, by definition, my job was 40 hours a week and it went 60 and the kids had things going on. We know what that means. But the reality is this is a priority issue. It's a priority issue on two fronts. And I'll get into this one much more later. It's a priority issue of how much time did you waste during the day? Because I know on the job, we waste massive amounts of time. Usually I find that people who are working 60 and 70 hours a week, it's their own fault. Now you may take offense to that, but um, and you may be that one that that's not the case. But I find that usually once I engage with people, a lot of it is their own doings. Things, um, things that they just let happen that, that consumes their time, consumes their day. And it's not their boss or their... Bosses, boss demanding that it's just it's you know things that we do um, normal everyday traps like email meetings drive-by conversations in the hallway that just consume their day. Um, some things we have uh, we have control over, some things we don't. And the same thing with families, you know that we we spend a lot of time in our daily activities that are not productive. And I'm not saying you're going to be on. 24-7 or you're, you're going to be on for 18 hours a day or, or even 12 hours a day, you're going to be on full bore. That's not the point. But the point is, where can you carve time from the wasted time that's not productive on one side? And number two, in the business, how can you quit doing all those stupid things and starting a business and start focusing on what really matters? Like I, I work with a lot of people in startup businesses and they'll say, I'm spending I've spent the last two months developing my website. So what? Woohoo! So you got another one of the, of the seventy five billion websites, however many are out there. You've got another one. Who cares? That's like spending two or three months on a brochure if nobody's going to see it. Now, theoretically, because it's on the web, people can see it. But the reality, you and I know is uh, just because you develop an awesome-looking website, nobody's really going to see it. Uh, so you're, they, they focus, maybe because they don't know, they focus on the wrong parts of the business. Instead of focusing on engaging customers and making money, they're focusing on some back-end things that was well, not the best use of their time. And I find that so often in, in business startups. So it's the kind of double whammy. I'm not, I'm not making good use of my time, and I haven't intentionally carved out that one hour a day. And by the way, that's what I usually look at in a business startup is about one hour a day if you can carve that out. It's kind of like going to graduate school. If you can carve that out, and you can, and then you can use that time wisely, then you can have a very productive business. I see that all the time. Now, again, these are the four issues. So let me just let me just hit these again for you. I'm going to look back here at my list. The four issues or the four obstacles that are keeping people from starting your, their business, do these relate to you? I, I would love to hear. Well, you know, Is there something else that's bigger? Uh, but I, these are some I hear all the time. One is I don't have enough money. Two, I have no idea what to do. Three, I don't realize that I can get people to pay or I think I can't charge for that once I get past the two. And number four was I don't have any time. I'm, I'm just that busy. Again, I'm going to deal, I'm going to dive into every one of these issues in great, great detail uh, on, um, on the next 
four episodes. I'm just going to take one and go into them and try to give you some useful takeaways about how to make it, how to get past these obstacles. But first, I want you to think about if you're in that situation, I'm trying to start a business or I'm trying to grow a business, which, which is sometimes your case, and you're finding these things getting in your way, take an inventory, be honest. Try to sit down and think, what are the obstacles that's in the way from me starting a business? What's really and truly in my way? Is it fear? I mean, sit down, use that hour a day or use that hour a week and just sit down with a pad of paper and think of what is really causing me to stop. If you're trying to grow your business, if you've got a business that's functioning and you're you're in that situation, what's, I mean, we're doing this right now with our businesses. We're, we're reevaluating, redeveloping things. What's really in the way? What's really causing us grief? What's keeping us from growing? What's, uh, where's, where's the obvious things to do? What are those obstacles? Just identifying the obstacles that are in our way from getting the clarity of, I mean, just identifying the obstacles gives us a massive, massive amount of clarity. Anyway, hopefully this is episode 110. And this is going to be, 11, uh, if I'm counting correctly, it's going to be episode 111, 112, 113, and 114. Boy, I can count with my fingers. So uh, th- we're going to be doing those in the next couple of times. Looking forward to being with you. Uh, if, you, if, you want, if you want to chat about something or if you want to, if you have something on these, shoot me on Facebook, uh, shoot me on Twitter also. I'll, and obviously you can always hit me an email at dale at dalecallahan.com. Thanks so much. Have a wonderful week.